Mm-hmm. Good morning. It's great to be here with you today. Uh, my name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point Church. If this is your first time, we're so thrilled to have you here today. It is, I know it technically isn't summer, but it feels like summer, doesn't it? I mean, I think I sweat about 19 pounds off this morning alone, getting things ready for the church. Uh, but I want to encourage you this morning. Um, this is High Point. We're a part of a ministry called Every Nation. And the video behind me that you just recently saw was an invitation for you to be part of the Every Nation World Conference that's happening in Orlando. It happens every three years. And I want to invite you, even though you may be newish to all this, if you've never been a part of something that connects you to the global church, it is an incredible thing to be part of, to worship with people that do not look like you, that are not dressed like you, that don't do anything like you, don't speak the same language as you, yet they're worshiping the same God as you. It's incredible. If you can make it, please make every effort to make the conference. That's kind of big vision. But locally, let me just tell you some great news. You guys, you guys like good news? Yeah. We don't have to break down anymore for the entire summer. All of our equipment here at this church. Yeah, no, you guys are not excited enough for this. We do not have to break down anything. So nothing in the hallway. God is real. He is alive. Okay? Uh, you don't know how excited I was when I got that message yesterday. So if you help out with, if you're serving and you're breaking down here at High Point, you don't need to touch the curtains. The only thing we need to do is get the signs out in the parking lot and bring them inside. Hallelujah. It's been three weeks since I have handled this microphone and preached. There's a lot of, there's, I've got some built up tension here. that has got to get out today. All right. In all seriousness, we've been working very hard behind the scenes uh, on systems and processes and some things with every nation uh, global here. While while I wasn't preaching, it's been great, and we've had guest speakers coming in, and some of uh, the pastors and and people in our on our team have been speaking as well. And so, what's happening right now, though, is I'm back in the saddle and finishing up our series called "Jesus Changes Everything." And even as we were worshiping and as and the weeks have progressed, I couldn't be more convinced that this is really true. Jesus, we have a tendency to allow Jesus to change part of who we are. Pieces, portions, the things that we're okay with. But Jesus isn't interested in changing a bit or a portion. He's interested in changing everything. And while it, it initially may feel painful, the reality is, is, what Jesus changes and what he does in your life is the greatest gift that you will ever experience. So this morning, I, I have a message for us that is an uncomfortable message today. It's not comfortable for me. It's not comfortable for me to read it, to preach it. Even as I leave here today, I'm going to be bothered by the message that I'm about to preach to you. But that is the calling of anybody who handles this microphone on a Sunday morning. You do not get to hide from the truth of the gospel. We do not, as a church, get to decide that we would rather be interested in entertainment more than discipleship because understand something, church. 
this is a church and what we do is not coming to come and be entertained and have a good time clapping our hands and having a moment of worship. It is to grow into the likeness of Jesus that we might be fruitful and represent him on this planet. Bring him glory. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. And as you do, I want to double back to the announcements for you. My wife is like, oh, what did I do wrong? She didn't do anything wrong. It just occurred to me, though, that I, I, I want to make this clear because sometimes church stuff, we can become insider in how we talk about things. And I realize some of you are here for the first time. So the idea of coming to a cookout next week doesn't appeal to you because you don't know anybody. And I recognize that that's true. <laughs> you don't. But one of the things I am asking you to do is to take a step of courage. We're a church that, in many ways, what we're doing this for is for God's glory, but it's also for you. We're praying for you. We desire a relationship with you. And so if you'll take just one step, maybe eat a little barbecue or a little hamburger or a little hot dog and just get to know someone, I guarantee God just might build something fresh and wonderful in your life. Luke chapter 15. You guys ready? You can follow along behind me. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued. That'll clue you in. There's some conversation that's happening before this. We're going to double back to it in just a minute. But Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them, between the two sons. If you're unaware, maybe you're new to church, this is one of the most, probably the single most famous parable in all of the Bible. You might even have a little section above it if you have a paper Bible or if maybe you're reading on your phone that says the parable of the lost son. Or if you're old school, you might have heard it described as the prodigal son. It's a, it's a, it's a reference that's used now throughout our culture. The idea of something being prodigal, a prodigal son, is a son that is preparing to wander away or has wandered off. And in this particular parable, Jesus is talking about this son who approaches his father. And he says, Dad, I'm ready for my inheritance. For you and I, that doesn't ring true of much significance. We don't, it's like, okay, why is this a big deal? What you and I may not understand is that this inheritance would only become part of, of uh, would only be put in the hands of the younger son in particular after his father were to die. And so in a culture that's built heavily on honor and respect, what this young son is essentially saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead. So why don't you give to me what's coming to me? And we'll just act like you're already dead. So you can grasp why this parable would immediately have ears perked up, eyes open wide, because this is the height of offense. 
guys with me? We're just two verses in on this bad boy, okay? And I'm not going to read the entire parable for you. It's a little bit lengthy. But suffice to say that this young man takes his inheritance, he takes this wealth, and he wanders off to a foreign land, and the scriptures tell us that he squanders his wealth in wild living. In fact, things get so bad, and he squanders it so much, the scriptures say that he's literally working in a pigsty, and he's so poor, and he's so destitute that he's looking at the pig slop that he's giving the pigs, and he's thinking to himself, this looks pretty good. If you've ever had the pleasure or displeasure of going to a pig farm, sometimes you drive by one on the interstate, and you think, my God, what is that smell? Right? It's a pig farm. If you've ever just literally had your breath stolen away from you because it's so horrid, all right? That's what a pig farm looks like. Now, I don't know if this was a pig farm per se, but it was still a pig sty. And if you've ever seen pigs eat, it's repulsive, all right? It's sloppy, thus pig slop. It's gross. And for you to be in a place where you're looking longingly at what the pigs are eating, you're in a rough place. Bro, (laughs) you're in a bad spot, okay? So when we talk about the prodigal son, what you and I need to understand is that this young man is a long way from home. He's wandered a long way, and he has wandered into a very rough patch. The scriptures say, though, that he comes to his senses. Isn't that interesting? It comes to his senses, and he thinks to himself, man, I should just return to my dad's house. You know what I can do? I can become a slave in my father's house. I realize I have, I have ruined the opportunity to truly live as a son in my father's house. So I'll just come back and I'm gonna be a, I'll be a slave. Surely my conditions will be better as a slave than they are like this. Verse 20. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him. There's so much to unpack in this moment. We could teach a whole series on just this parable, but understand even at the height of dignity and honor for this man, a man of, 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 cons- of wealth even, might I add, to be running to his son. It would have required him to hike up his robes. Do you understand? They're not, they're not wearing blue jeans and kicks, you know, at this point in time. He's not, he doesn't have Jordans on. He's not have Nikes on. He's got sandals on and long flowing robes. And so it would have been this man hiking them up at least enough to get his legs moving so he could run to his son. You understand? It, it, it's a picture of a father who is, who is not cared. He doesn't care about his dignity in this moment because his heart is breaking with compassion for his son. 
and he runs to him. He kisses him. He welcomes him back into his family. Incredible, incredible picture. An incredible story of forgiveness. And some of you who are sitting here this morning, you can relate to this story. Because your life looks like the picture of someone who wandered very far away from living right, from honoring God. Some of you were on the brink of suicide. You just wanted to end it. Some of you are sitting here right now and you're in, you're in despair, literally still over choices that you're currently making. And you identify with this story and it's great news, even though you still might be wrestling with the reality that God would welcome you back in all of your mess and all of your filth and all of the choices that you've made. He does because he's a God that is good and a God that is gracious and compassionate. And it is his kindness that draws us to repentance. But understand that there are also some of you here this morning that don't relate to that. You love the fact that it's good news, and it's good news for those people that have really wandered away. But there's a problem with this story, and it, it's a problem that I relate to, and this is where things begin to get uncomfortable. Because many times we celebrate this story as the prodigal son who's wandered away. But the story opens up with a father and two sons. It doesn't say hey, here's a story about a father and a son. It's about a father and two sons. And so for me, I, I, I can read this story, and I can, it's, like a, it's like taking my elevator up to my ivory tower, and I've got my little coffee mug, and I look out the glass window at the masses below, and I think, what a great story for those people. And I'll just drink my coffee, and God is good, and God is gracious especially for all of those people who have really wandered away. I think, man, I can't wait to share this with someone who really needs to hear it. The prodigal son. And we miss the context that's happening here. See, if we back the train all the way up to the station in verse 1, we're able to understand a little bit of why Jesus is sharing this parable in the first place. Chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. There are two groups of people that are gathered around Jesus. There are those who are the tax collectors and the sinners. They're in this camp, and then there are the Pharisees, and they're over here in this camp. And Jesus is literally sitting down, and he's eating, and he's giving his life away to those who are an absolute wreck. And there's this group of dignified, righteous people. The, one who, the ones who are held in great esteem. And they're muttering to themselves. I mean, they're at the party, and can you believe? 
Can you believe that Jesus is eating with that guy? I cannot eat it. Did you see where they were Thursday night? My God. You know, and it you hear what I'm saying. There's muttering. Their mouths are moving. Their eyes are darting to and fro. There's criticism. There's self-righteousness. And so Jesus, knowing the hearts and thoughts of the men and women around him, begins to share not just one parable, but three parables. And the third one is the, the grand finale. See, Jesus starts off and he, and he begins this parable about a lost sheep and the shepherd is so gripped that he leaves the 99 and he goes and he finds this sheep. And he puts it around his shoulders and he comes home and he's so thrilled that he found his lost sheep. What does he do? He calls his friends and his neighbors and he invites them over to come and celebrate for my sheep that was lost is now found. Let's party. Woo! And not just a few moments after he finishes that parable, he begins a second one about a, a woman who lost a coin, and this coin was very valuable to her. She couldn't find it anywhere in her house. She's, she's looking, she's looking under the bed, she's sweeping, and she's, she's doing everything she can to find it. And finally, she finds that coin. And it is a big deal, and so she, she calls her friends. She puts a, a fresh pot of coffee on and says, come on over. I'm baking some fresh bread. It's a party over here. Let's celebrate. That coin that was lost, I found it. The partying begins. And the third parable starts and begins to, to it, 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 it builds just like all the other parables. And if you're sitting there and you're a tax collector or a sinner, you know who you are in this story. There's no questioning where you belong in it. Jesus begins a story about that which is lost, but this time it's not a sheep, it's not a coin, it's a person. It's a son who has offended the father with his actions and out of rebellion has wandered away from what he knows to be true. And every single person sitting there would have immediately known that this parable relates to the tax collectors and the sinners. They're dead in their sin, and it's also why this parable was such incredible news, because here they see a picture of the Father who is inviting them straight back into relationship with himself. He's a God that forgives, a God that restores. And if you're sitting here or you're standing here and you're muttering or you're eating, you're assuming at this point that the parable is going to end just like the others. And what does the father do? He throws a party. Strike up the band. Slaughter the fattened calf. Get all the neighbors if you know anything about the, the culture, again, to kill the fattened calf, this was, the, this was the height of wealth for a family. 
You don't just kill the fattened calf for any reason. This is also the kind of party where you would have been inviting your neighbors and the people down the street to. This is the bash. Uh, this is the, the bash to be invited to. My son, who was lost, has now been found. And in like, like all the other stories, let's party. Let's celebrate. Let's rejoice. Which, by the way, church, that, uh, that's not the purpose of this parable, but in case you're, you're wondering, one of our responses as Christians should be that of having a heart of celebration. When God is moving and God is working, you know what it moves us to do? It moves us beyond just sipping coffee and being bored in our faith. That is not the response of someone who has truly grasped what Jesus has done. What God the Father has done, it provokes us to celebration. That one was free. Interesting thing is that this story doesn't end with celebration. All of these parables are moving towards a climactic moment. To read one by itself is to not understand the significance of what Jesus is doing in this moment. Because understand there are Pharisees who are muttering about Jesus spending time with the tax collectors and the sinners. And so these parables are building up to this moment of tension and confrontation in the hearts of those who would gasp and mutter at who Jesus is spending his time with. And if you're a Pharisee, this is where the surprise ending comes into play. Amy and I just watched a Redbox movie the other night, and I thought I had it all figured out. I mean, uh, movies nowadays, let's be honest, it's like the same plot recycled in every single movie. So when a movie actually gets you, you're like, wow, I did not see that coming. And that's what exactly what happened in the Redbox. You were watching a movie, and, and I'm, I, bam, all of a sudden the surprise ending, this is the surprise ending. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on here? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother is doing what the older brother has always been doing. He's working. Before the younger brother left, you know what the older brother was doing? He was working out in the fields. You know what he was doing when the, when the younger brother was out squandering his wealth? He was working out in the fields. And now that the younger brother has returned, the, the older brother is coming in from doing what he's been doing the entire time, and that's working. Working, working, working. This poor servant who thinks he's bringing the older brother great news. You can imagine the, 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 the excitement. All of a sudden, the, the young man, you know, he's, you know, the older brother is coming into town. And, you know, in St. Louis, I grew up in a, in a valley. And so where we were and where our high school was, if you didn't by chance go to the Friday night football game, you could hear sometimes the sound of the, of the, of the band playing. 
And you could hear like the rush of the crowd when something incredible happened. You could hear it off in the distance. And you knew something big was going on. It's the football game. It's the high school Friday night game. You know, you'd be out grilling and all of a sudden you hear the, ah, you know, where the sound of, da, 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 right? And so the older brother's coming in. He's probably dirty. He's probably sweaty. He's probably tired. But off in the distance, he hears the drums. He hears the music. He hears the guitars. And he's hearing all this stuff. It's clearly some kind of party. Hey, hey, hey servant. Come here. What is going on? The servant says, you will never believe it. But your, your, your brother, the brother that wandered away, he's returned. And your dad, he went out and he killed the fattened calf for this. It's party time. I'll see you inside. Right? And your expectation, if you're a listener of the parable, is that the story is coming to an end. And that celebration would commence because, after all, the parable of the sheep ends that way. The parable of the lost coin ends that way. But now that you've got me hooked, you're bringing me in, and and I know exactly what's going to happen. I understand how the story goes. Surprise. The older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said. You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What we're seeing in the scriptures here that oftentimes we miss is a is a perfect reciprocal relationship between the two sons and the father. You have the younger son who's a long way away from home. And he's wandered and he's he's eating out of the pigsty and he's he's literally uh he's destitute, he's racked and ruin, ruining his life. And what happens is he's beginning to move closer to home and the father sees him. And what does the father do? The father goes out to him in compassion. And then we have another son who's actually also a long way from home, except his long way from home doesn't look like rebellion. It's him out in the fields. And he's coming in and he sees the party and he sends a servant in. But instead of a servant being sent back out to the son, who comes out to greet him in the same fashion that he went and greeted his younger son, the father comes out to greet and meet and give his life to his older son as well. Don't you know that everything I have is yours? 
What are you angry about? What are you so mad about, older son? Why are you so ripped by this? What makes me uncomfortable, church, is that you can be lost in the fields of self-righteousness just as easily as you can be lost in the pigsty of rebellion. And if you've grown up in church, you grew up in a house filled with faith, Maybe you identify still with the wayward son who wandered away. Or maybe what you get and you relate to more than anything else is a life where you did just about everything right. And yet if you're not careful, you can do everything right and still not have relationship with your heavenly father. Because God has never been interested in you doing. He's simply been interested in you. I am the kid that grew up in church. I'm the kid who at 38 years of age has never been drunk in his life. Was the president of my fraternity. A frat kid. Yet have never even been close to being uh, tipsy or, or moved by alcohol. I was a virgin when I got married. Those two qualities alone put me in a bracket of righteousness, do they not, nowadays? And if I'm not careful, oh, let me rephrase that. I haven't been careful. I'm guilty as charged of being the older brother walking into the house, or refuse me, refusing to walk into the house thinking somehow that because of the life that I have lived, I am better than or deserve more or am entitled to more because of the nature of how I have lived my life. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear. You can be just as lost, living a long way away from home, and you can still be lost living under the Father's roof. And I get it. Some of you probably do too. See, I've done many things. Caught on mission trips. I preach. I worship. My album list on iTunes is primarily Christian music. I know the Bible pretty well. I'm faithful to read it. I love the church. I come, I set up, I break down. Are you telling me that you killed the fattened calf for him? Do you see what I'm doing around here? Are you not aware that I have been slaving away for you? Notice the word that the older brother uses, slaving away. And without even knowing it, the nature of their relationship had changed. Not from father to son, but father to slave. 
oh, this older brother, he looked good on the outside, did he not? I mean, he was making it happen. He's working out in the field. He probably looked fantastic on paper. He's the guy you'd be asking to lead the life group. You know what we're going to do? You're in charge of the worship team. I mean, you've got it all together. There you go, buddy. You've earned it. This is what happens. How do pastors and preachers stand on a stage like this and preach a message and then go live a life that's completely opposite? How does that happen? How do we do that? How do Christians do that? Because you can be living under the roof and still not have a a, a gospel that has transformed you. Yet we're so great at gospel activity, but gospel activity is not the same as gospel transformation. And that's why you can do all of these things and do all the church things and check all the things off and still be completely unchanged by Jesus. And the Pharisees understood it better than anyone. No one obeyed better than they did. No one. This is not a message on the lack of importance regarding obedience. If you love me, Jesus says, you'll obey me. But obedience comes out of the overflow of a life where you love your heavenly father, not because you're slaving to earn something from the father. Don't you understand what I've been doing here? How come I didn't get this? You see, both sons were trying to manipulate the father's hand. One tried to manipulate the father out of rebellion, and the other tried to manipulate him out of righteousness. If I just live a certain way, God will give me and bring me and do this for me. After all, I've earned it. And both sons are just as lost. And our Bibles do us no service. Hear me, your Bible does. But the little, the little, the little hashtag, right, that's, that's describing the parable oftentimes just says parable of the, the, the prodigal son as if it's a story about just one brother. It's not a story about one brother. In fact, it's a story building more towards the climax of the older brother because the Pharisees are sitting there and the story ends and there's no resolution. It doesn't have a happy close or a happy ending. It's left with Jesus looking at the Pharisees like, what up, bro? What are we going to do? Are we doing this? That's how it ends. And I see myself in it. Chances are you can see yourself in it. And you need to understand the great news is that God the Father sent his son Jesus as much for the train wrecks in the pigsty as, as much as the church kid who's trying to do everything right. Neither posture is a heart that has been changed by the gospel. One is just out in rebellion and oftentimes feels like they can never return to God because of the shame of their past. And the other never returns either, not because of shame, but because of pride. The pride of my heart. I don't need that. In fact, I'm 
I am indignant that this is what's happening. You might be an older brother if. Buckle up. You might be an older brother if you are unwilling to celebrate what God is doing in someone else's life, regardless of what you think it looks like. You might be an older brother if you are unwilling to celebrate what God is doing in someone else's life, regardless of what you think it looks like. Meaning, at any given moment, I could have friends over to my house, maybe people that I've been praying for or ministering to, and someone else could come over and think, my gosh, the mouth on that guy and what you don't know is where they were nine months ago. And the judgment that comes out of our heart and the unwillingness to celebrate, out of ignorance, out of pride, that's the spirit of an older brother. You find yourself brooding on the outside, looking in. You have all these what ifs in your mind. Suspicious. You might be an older brother if you justify yourself based on comparison to others. I'm not as bad as they are. Doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. I mean, after all, look at these people. No, you're not. In fact, you're in danger of being in a worse place because you're blind to your sin. At least the one in rebellion understood where he was and was able to walk back. And you'll notice if you read the scriptures, he came back with a sense of brokenness in humility before his father. Father, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Make me a slave and I'll just do it. And it's the posture of a heart, not of pride, but of humility. And the father lifts the chin. You can just imagine the, the hug, the tears, the kissing. Oh, my son. Far be it from you to be that in my house. That's not who you are. Lifts the shame and he gets the robe, the majestic robe of the house, and he puts the signet ring on the finger. All of the things that the son is not worthy of wearing, yet the father makes him worthy of wearing it, not because of anything the son did, but because of what the father did. You might be an older brother if you're prideful that all you have done for God and His kingdom. Doing pretty good. I mean, I lead a life group. I read my Bible like two or three times a week, sometimes four or five. I know a lot of Bible verses. And, I mean, you won't believe what I'm doing on my college campus. You won't believe what I'm doing at work or with my children. My children love God. And the reason they love God is because I'm an awesome parent. Now, I'm exaggerating this, but understand, this is 
the seed of what gets planted in our heart. That somehow we take credit for what God is doing. You might be an older brother if you find yourself angry at what you feel God should have done in your life. I've done better than, I've earned something better than this. My teenager should not be dealing with this. God, look at my track record. I've done this, 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 and this is how you repay me? God, I've done this and this, and the church is at this size? What? I'm angry about this. God, I did this and this and this. I went to premarital counseling. We saved ourselves for marriage. And this is the condition of my marriage? Come on. I deserve better than this. You're angry. I should be here. I should have this. You should have done this. You should have rewarded me here. You should have blessed me like that. You might be an older brother if you magnify the sin of others while minimizing your own. Well, those sins are way worse than my sins. But are they? They may have greater consequence on earth, but they don't have greater consequence in heaven. God isn't interested in you having a religion. He's interested in you having a relationship. And that starts with you posturing your heart in humility to him. And if you are like me, and maybe you grew up around, if you grew up in Georgia, there's a good chance you grew up Baptist or you grew up Church of Christ or you grew up Lutheran or Presbyterian or something, and you, you have a strong sense of what is right and, and wrong. And maybe you dipped your toe in the, in, the, in the wayward sun ways, but there's also a really good chance that you lived your life by the line and you've done everything you can to just somehow earn God's graces if you're not careful. I want to be very clear. I'm thankful I grew up in church. I'm thankful for that. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'm thankful for parents who love Jesus. I'm thankful for the foundation that was laid in my life. But an amazing thing can happen. The pride of life can sneak its way in. It's deceptive. It's sneaky. That's why it's that's why it's called deception. Because you don't see it happening. All of a sudden you find yourself, it, you're wondering where this, where's my relationship with my father? It feels dry all of a sudden. I feel like there's such distance. I feel like there's such separation. The first place to check is the pride of your heart. Because if you're doing to try to earn, you're acting like a slave in the house. God has actually called you to see. And your anger, which which this is what happens, churches, is, is Christians have a tendency to do what? They, they tend to sometimes come across as angry people. 
Why? Hear, hear me. Anybody can be angry. But sometimes the that crotchety get off my lawn spirit, you know, uh, there is something about churches at times that can carry that. Well, how does that happen? Because we've forgotten the heart of forgiveness and what it really looks like. We don't understand grace. We've forgotten the beauty of grace. See, it, it, it's, it's pride that allows me to minimize my sin while magnifying others. As if somehow Christ dying for me, he didn't really have to fully die for me like he did for that guy. It was like quarter death, half death. Like, we're laughing about it, but it's how we carry ourselves. As if the sacrifice Jesus had to make for that person was so much greater than the sacrifice he had to make for you. He died for you. For your sin. Period. That should humble us. And remind us to forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven you. kids and you know what it's like rather than being the, the mother and father to them that they need you know what it's like to have that almost angry unable to please attitude spirit it's a, it's a judgmental critical thing that happens and it feels like the older brother I've done that at times in my own house. You exasperate your kids. You're trying to make them into this thing rather than letting the grace of God work and move and breathe. Oh, understand there is right and there is wrong and there are consequences for it and should be in everyone's house. But those can still be administered in grace and the kindness of the Lord. Some of you know what it's like to just feel like you just can't get ahead in life and you're angry about it because somehow what's snuck in there is that you feel like you are entitled to more than what you're currently experiencing. And some of you simply are carrying yourself out of pride. And you think you're the cat's meow to the kingdom. As if somehow you're better. If I was the one leading this, if I was doing this, well, I don't really want to go to that. It's not deep enough for me. It's not heavy enough. They're not mature enough for me. Really? Is that really the case? I don't think so. The spirit of the older brother has crept in. And the great news, church, is that we have the same chance of responding right to the Father, the same way that Jesus leaves it open for the Pharisees to respond. Our response should be, hopefully, that of the younger brother, of God, my Father. 
It's hard for me to say it, but I'm as lost as that guy. Would you help me? Would you save me? Would you make me new from the inside out? Would you set me free from the burden of trying to work my way in to your favor and your good graces? What is it that Jesus says? Come to me all who are weary and in need of rest. Take my yoke upon you, he says. Stop working. Stop striving. And receive the sacrifice that Jesus made. Just a moment, we're going to pray. I'm not going to have anybody stand. I'm not going to have people come forward. You can come forward for prayer after service if you want. But this is a moment for you right here, right now. To respond how you need to respond in repentance to your Heavenly Father. God, I thank you. Lord, that you you speak with such conviction in the, the words of the Scriptures. They do not ever grow old to us, God. Lord, we're thankful for grace and we're thankful for forgiveness. We're thankful for your mercy this morning. And we see it so readily, Lord, in the story of the the son who's wandered away. We're so thankful for how you welcome him back into your home. And God, we are all so thankful that in our self-righteousness, Lord, that we can have a moment for our eyes to be open and for our hearts to be open. I thank you, Lord for the story, and we see the Father coming out to spend time and to talk and to minister to his older son as much as he did for the younger. God, help us to understand that everything the Father has, he's given to us grace and mercy and forgiveness. to be open that we need it you're sitting here this morning and you know that's you. you you've been carrying yourself like the older brother the critical one the prideful one the one who's done everything they can do to make it look right on the outside but yet on the inside it feels like you're crumbling I want to invite you to pray with me right now say Father in heaven I thank you that you are good that you are great. I thank you that you're merciful. And I thank you that you are my heavenly Father. Forgive me for being prideful before you, for being critical, for being angry. Forgive me for thinking of myself better than I should have. Thank you for forgiving my sin today. Lord, I love you. I worship you. I thank you for your son, Jesus. Amen. Now, church, if that's you, you know what you get to do? get to do what we never got to see in this parable. 
You get to go inside the house and you get to party. You get to celebrate because God is good and he is faithful all the time. He is a good father to you all the time. He's gracious and merciful and he's loving. And he has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. He is working in your midst. Amen. Stand to your feet. Whether you are a teenager here, whether you are 94 years old here today, God has not done working in your life. It's one of the great news of the gospel is he's never finished with you. He's never finished. He's a good father to you. Amen. Church, I want to remind you, next week we've got a shortened service. Why? Because we have a cookout. Where we get to get to come to, we get to get to, we get to get to come together and celebrate and rejoice together and enjoy each other's company together and eat some good food together and have some good competition where you will lose to me together. All the things, all the things, church. And then Friday nights, we're going to be getting uh, uh, summer nights. We've got another church rented, uh, which if, if you text HP info to 97,000 or you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll get all the scoop. But we're helping you get better equipped to be the kind of disciple that is making maximum impact in the kingdom. That's me. That's you knowing your spiritual gifts, how you're wired, how you're strengthened, what you're good at, what you're passionate about, and we're going to drink good coffee, and we're going to have fun together. We will have fun together, right? You will like it. Guys, have a great Sunday. And I, you know what, church? Forgive me. Forgive me for this. I meant to mention it. It feels probably like a tack on at the end. I have it in my notes, but I didn't mention Memorial Day. And Memorial Day is far more than hot dogs and hamburgers. It's about those who have died sacrificing for our freedoms, the freedom that we are experiencing right now. In many ways, we have because of men and women who've gone before us. And so we're thankful this weekend for those who've served. And while Memorial Day is not for those who are currently serving, I want to thank you as well for your, your service as well. We love you guys. Happy Memorial Day weekend. We'll see you next Sunday.